So good to see everyone this morning. Appreciate you being here. I want to continue in our series of lessons on coming together as the church. Um, we find ourselves in troubling times in this world, and we need to remember the simple teachings of the New Testament, the simple uh, plan of God's salvation, and how that applies to us as, as, as children of His. We have begun this series with a couple of lessons already, looking at what, what, it, what is the church? What does it mean uh, when we talk about the church itself? And last week we looked at the importance of each church being able to independently function and how important that is in that uh, we are responsible for uh, the brethren here of this congregation and the other congregations are responsible for their brethren and, and how that's very, very important uh, in, in when it comes to uh, how we conduct the earthly part of, of the church. Uh, today I want to talk about God's people in exile. And I mentioned this and, and, and want to have a lesson about this and understanding that it's not unprecedented for uh, God's people to be removed uh, from worship, shall we say, in the broadest sense of the terms that we can use here. I think what will come to mind is where we'll start this morning uh, about how God's people are, are separated from him, they're in exile, they're in bondage, and we see many examples of that uh, throughout biblical history. So we want to look at those just pretty briefly and, and just get a sense of, of what it means. And then we want to come into the New Testament and see that even in the New Testament we see uh, disciples uh, of our Lord uh, being in such a state as they're removed from where they would like to be, uh, in, in a sense, in the spiritual sense of, of being excluded but then included. So we'll look at all that as we go through. And then we'll make the application to ourselves and understand, uh, hopefully better understand our current situation and how we can, we can address that. So when we talk about people, about God's people being in, in bondage, I, I hope what will come to mind, first of all, is are the Jews that were in bondage in Egypt. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 1. We know, Bible students, we know that the, the, the Jews, the, the, the people of God, under the patriarchal law, um, the, the descendants of Abraham, find themselves in Egypt at the close of the book of Genesis. And when we open the book of Exodus, we find that the conditions have changed. While they were uh, in good standing under Joseph's leadership in, in Egypt, time has passed. And with that, the Jews uh, find themselves in bondage. In Exodus chapter 1, beginning of verse 8, it says, Now the new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. So time has passed, and now they see these people who are living amongst them, and their attitude towards them changes. Verse 9, he said to his people, Behold, the people of the sons of Israel are more and mightier than we are. Come, let us deal wisely with them, lest they multiply in the event of war. They also join themselves to those who hate us and fight against us and depart from the land. So Pharaoh here is seeing that these people pose a threat to him. So there's something he has to do about that. 
Verse 11, so they appointed taskmasters over them and afflicted them with hard labor. And they built for Pharaoh's storage cities, uh, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and the more they spread out, so that they were in dread of the sons of Israel. And the Egyptians compelled the sons of Israel to labor rigorously. And they made their lives bitter with hard labor and mortar and bricks and all kinds of labor in the field and the labors which they rigorously imposed on them. You come over to chapter 3 and verses, uh, beginning in verse 7. God's going to recognize and hear the cries of his people in bondage. Verse 7, And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have given heed to their cry because of their taskmasters, for I am aware of their sufferings. So I have come down to deliver them out of the power of the Egyptians and to bring them up from the land to the land, uh, to a good land of spacious land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to a place of the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Amorite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite. And now, behold, the cry of the sons of Israel has come to me. Furthermore, I have seen the oppression which the Egyptians are oppressing them. So here we have an example of God's people being in exile, being in bondage. And we see that the, the cries come up to God. And he hears them, and he, ha- and he says, I am going to take them out of there. And we know how the story unfolds. He appoints Moses to be that person who would lead them out. And all the trials and the tribulations that they go through in all of that. I want to jump over to maybe a strange place in this, but go over to Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 20. And I, I go here because the prophet Ezekiel is through God speaks to him and tells him to, to, to remind his audience about the time back there in Egypt. So he does that here in Ezekiel chapter 20. And so what I hope we'll get out of this is, is seeing that there was a time when God's people were in bondage, that God recognized it, and he was going to deliver them from that bondage. And we know that that wasn't an easy thing mainly because the people rebelled against God. Mainly because people didn't have the faith necessary to follow after God. And we think about how they're, uh, in Numbers chapter 13, when they're getting ready to go into the, the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey. You're going to hear that again here in just a moment. That they sent spies into the land, and some of them came back and said, yeah, it's a, it's a spacious land, but there's giants there. There's fortified cities there. We're not going to be able to take it. So as a result of that unfaithfulness, God causes him to wander there in the wilderness for 40 years. But his long-suffering, his patience, he finally let them enter into the land, and they weren't done grumbling. There were still grumblings to come. There were still things to come. They were still, once they entered into the land, they weren't going to be faithful to God the way they should be. And eventually they would find themselves in captivity, which is what Ezekiel is warning of right here. So in Ezekiel chapter 20, it says, Now it came about, verse 1, the tenth year of the fifth month, on the tenth month, that a certain of the elders of Israel came and inquired the Lord and sat before me. And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, speak to the elders of Israel and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Do you inquire of me as I live? Declares the Lord, I will not be inquired of by you. Verse 4, Will you judge them? Will you judge them, son of man? Make them the abominations of their fathers and say to them, Thus says the Lord your God, On the day when I chose Israel and swore to the descendants of the house of Jacob 
and make myself known to them in the land of Egypt when I swore to them, saying, I am the Lord your God. On that day I swore to them to bring them up out of the land of Egypt into a land that I had selected for them, flowing with milk and honey, which is the glory of all lands. It goes on to tell them about God's reminding the current audience here about that time when he delivered them out of Egypt and into the promised land, but there was idolatry along the way. There was intermarriaging along the way. There was reluctance to follow after God along the way. There was a falling away from God along the way. We come to verse 17. It says, Yet my eye spared them rather than destroying them, and I did not cause their annihilation in the wilderness. So despite all the things that were going on, God kept his promise. And the promise goes all the way back to Abraham about the land and the nation and that through his seed all nations will be blessed. But the, particularly the application here is the land and the nation. He made that promise to them. And even though they rebelled against him and even though they, they, they turned from him, he still spared them so that they indeed could enter into the promised land. Drop over to verse 36. As, back up in verse 33 says, As I live, declares the Lord, surely with a mighty hand, the outstretched arm. He talks about how he did all this, how he was able to accomplish this. In verse 36 he says, and I, As I entered into judgment with your fathers in the wilderness in the land of Egypt, so I will enter into judgment with you, declares the Lord your God. So in all this is the warning of, this is how I handled them, and the judgments I met out, meted out against them, the same is going to be of you. If you don't turn, if you don't repent of what's going to happen, destruction is headed your way as well. And so in we see, we see God's long-suffering, we see his compassion, we also see his judgment for those who would not follow after him. Let's go into the New Testament. Let's talk about some dislocated disciples. I want to begin this way. In John chapter 18, we, we've been looking very closely at the, the last few days of our Lord's life. And in John chapter 18, verse 36, this is John's recording of the interaction that Jesus has with Pilate. And in that interaction, Jesus says there in verse 36, that my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting, that I not, may not be delivered up to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. And the reason I put this in there is we, we've got to understand about the, the, the worlds in which we live. We live in a physical world. This is where our bodies dwell. This is where we know the things that we know through the senses that we have. We're also living at the same time in a spiritual realm. We, the kingdom of God has come. And as children of God, when we put on Christ through baptism, we come into that kingdom. And as a result, we live that life of a, of a, in the world, of our bodies, and, and the things that we think about there. But we're also living in the spiritual realm. And Jesus says that my kingdom is not of this world. The kingdom that he's going to establish supersedes the physical world. It is an everlasting kingdom. Look over in Acts chapter 8. <clears throat> Acts 
In Acts chapter 8, we get the, the, the idea here of the, the, the dislocation of disciples. Um, the, the second part of verse 1 there in Acts chapter 8 says, On that day a great persecution arose against the church in Jerusalem, and they were scattered throughout the regions of Judea, Samaria, except for the apostles. And look in verse 4. It says there, Therefore those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. So we know that there's a persecution against Christians here early on that they're trying to snuff out Christianity. The Romans government, but more particularly the Jews, still trying to snuff out Christianity. And so as a result, disciples are scattered. We looked at last week there, 1 Peter 1, verse 1, as Peter writes the letter, he's writing to those who are scattered abroad. So there's the idea of the dislocated disciples. They're, they're, some of them are away from where they would like to be. But the idea here that comes back to is you know, we're part of a kingdom. We're part of a spiritual kingdom. Look now in Ephesians chapter 2. So I mentioned about the idea of the spiritual and the, and the, and the earthly kingdom. There's another uh, unity that, that happens, and that is with the Jews and the Gentiles. And in this, Paul is writing here in, in chapter 2 of Ephesians, and he says there in verse 11, Therefore remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, were the uncircumcision by the, by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands. Remember that you were at the time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenant of the promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So this fits into our conversation by understanding that the, the Jews had always been God's people. But Paul is, is telling the Gentiles, there was a plan for you, and that plan has now come to fruition. That plan, you were strangers, you were in exile, you were excluded from, uh, from being part of God's people, but Jesus has brought you into the fold. Jesus has brought you into the kingdom. He goes on to talk about that, how he did that through, through his cross. Down in verse 19 it says, So then now you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. So even though there was a difference uh, there was a, there's a separation that had been for so long. Jesus brought, that, brought those people together through his sacrifice. Now all people are uh, available to become part of the kingdom. And so while the dislocation there speaks of, uh, during the time of the early church, of those being scattered, there's still the idea of that we're still in that spiritual kingdom. And that supersedes the physical one. So with that in mind, let's talk about now our current sojourning. Look in Romans chapter 6. So how is it that we uh, become part of this kingdom? Romans 6 here, I know, I know we're all familiar with it, but I want us to look again in the context of what we're talking about now about um, being admitted into the kingdom, if you will. In chapter 6, beginning of verse 3, it says, that, Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ have been baptized into his death? 
Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death in order that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, surely we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, that our old body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, for he who has died is freed from sin. So this is how we come out of the physical world, so to speak. We are buried in baptism. What does that do? That puts to death of that old man, that old woman of sin. That puts that to death. And then what happens? We are resurrected to walk in newness of life, to walk in the kingdom. So now we have this, this the idea that we have a world in which we live, the physical world, but more importantly, we have the spiritual world in which we live. In verse 11 there, it says, Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Jesus Christ. So we see how that works. The old man of sin is dead, and now we are alive together with Christ in the kingdom. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, Probably another familiar passage to us. 2 Corinthians 6, as Paul is talking about not having ourselves bound together with unbelievers, not being um, uh, put in that situation, but rather what? Verse 17, Therefore come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord, and do not touch what is unclean, and I will welcome you. You see, there's a coming out of the world that we just talked about there from Romans 6. That's accomplished through our baptism. When we put to death that old man, we're walking newness of life, we've come out of the world. And so now, in a sense, we are sojourning through the world that we live in. We still live in the same physical lives. We're still living probably the same um, place, maybe, in the same house, the same job, all those things, but but now we're just sojourning through that. We're just traveling through. We are strangers in a land. Because now we have something more. Now we have the kingdom. So we're sojourning through this. We are traveling through. Look now in Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews 11. Travis read for us there verses 9 and 10. Talking about Abraham. It said, By faith he lived as an alien in the land of the promise, in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. And look what it says there in verse 10. For he was looking for a city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. So as we're looking at, at our own sojourning, let's look back and see uh, a good example of that, and that was Abraham. Abraham was called out of Ur, of Chaldea. He went up to Haran, and God said, from there I'm going to, to take you into this land. You're not going to exist as a citizen of that land. You're going to be just traveling through it. But this is the land that your offspring is going to inherit. This is the land flowing with milk and honey. And, and, and Abraham recognized that. He's, he was intense and he was dwelling with Isaac and Jacob. Um, it says, for he was looking for a city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. By faith, it was Abraham who was looking... He accepted that he was sojourning, he was a stranger in the land that he was, but he was looking for a city that was to come. 
Now look in verse uh, 13 of Hebrews 11. All these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance, and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. That ought to be our attitude. There is a promise out there. It's not as far off as it was for them. We're much closer to it than they are because we have Jesus Christ in our past. Because he's, he has come and died for our sins. He's brought us that much closer to salvation. So the city that we're looking for, we're that much closer to it. Closer to it than they were. But look at the faith that they had. Verse 14. For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking about the country from which they went out, they would have opportunity to return. What does that mean? It means if they would have, if they would have left themselves and their minds and back there where they came from, they wouldn't be as readily ready to go forward into that city that's been promised. You know the old saying about you, you can't go home again? I think that's what applies here. They knew that they were leaving their homes and they were going somewhere else. And they were fine with that. Verse 16, But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, and he has prepared a city for them. That needs to be our attitude. That needs to be our attitude that we are going forward we're not looking back from where we came is in our past. And we keep moving forward to that city, that country that God has promised us. So we're just traveling through this land. So what does that mean to us? Brethren, it means that we're already in exile. We're already there. Sometimes we get moved around and sometimes things happen to us or sometimes things befall us. And we find ourselves in the current atmosphere, the climate that we're in, the disease and, and unrest and all those things, and we think about, well, it's never been this bad. It has. It's been worse. But God's people soldier through. God's people carry through. God's people are willing to live in tents. And to go where God is going to show them. You know, I think about when, when Abraham is called to, to sacrifice Isaac. God tells him, take your son Isaac and go to this place where I'm going to show you. And sacrifice him there. He didn't even know where he was going. He just been, says he got up that next morning and saddled his donkey and went out. He was willing for God to show him where he was going to be going. Just the idea that go was enough for him. So brethren, we're, we're in exile. We're, we're passing through this land. So the things that come along, we ought not to, to struggle with them so mightily because they're just things that happen in the world. Terrible things have happened. Terrible things are going to continue to happen. We soldier on. Because there is no exile to come. There's not a time of... Uh, more tribulation that's going to that's in front of us we're we're in it now the rest of our lives for the rest of the time that the earth is permitted to stay around so let's accept that let's accept that we're that much closer to the promise that we're in exile now 
and let's keep moving towards that city that's out there. I want to leave you with Revelation. <laughs> this ought to clear things up, right? Let's go to Revelation. Revelation chapter 7. I want to preface this by saying something about Revelation. Revelation is obviously not the easiest book in the Bible to understand. It's difficult. We need to approach Revelation as understanding that <clears throat> some things are spoken about in the past, some things are spoken about in the future, and then some things are there's a mix of what's going on. Because John is in the spirit. He has been, it says, that he, write these things which I'm going to show you. So John's trying to write down the things that he's seeing. Some things he's being told. We see that. But he's trying to describe, and, and what's, what's taking place in front of him is he's getting a glimpse. It says that the door in heaven was, was open, and he saw into it. He's getting a glimpse into that spiritual world. He's allowed to see in there and see that all these things are playing out in the spiritual world. And remember, all those things in the spiritual world, time doesn't apply to them. Things could be happening way back here. Things could be happening in the future. Things could be happening right here. And they could all be happening at the same time as John is looking at them. So it's hard for us to kind of get our minds and our arms around that. And I say all that to say this, that here in chapter 7, there's a glimpse of those who have come out of the tribulation. Chapter 7, verse 9 says, After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could count from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, and palm branches were in their hands, and they cry out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around to the, th uh, the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne of God and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessings and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Now, it's easy for us to look at that and say that's a scene in, in heaven. That, that, and that's where we're going. That's, that's in the future. But if we think about it, that, that remember what I said, that there's, a, there's, a, earthly, there's a, a physical world that's going on right now, and there's also a spiritual world that's going on right now. And I look at this as, as seeing a little glimpse into the spiritual world that's going on right now. Because look what it says there, verse 13. And one of the elders answered, saying to me, These who are clothed in white robes, who are they, and where have they come? And I said to him, My Lord, you know. And he said to me, these are the ones who come out of the great tribulation. And they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. For this reason, they are before the throne of God, and they serve him night and day in his temple. And he who sits on the throne shall spread his tabernacle over them. They shall, no, they shall hunger no more, neither shall they thirst any more, neither shall the sun beat down on them, nor any heat. For the Lamb is in the center of the throne, shall be their shepherd, and shall guide them into the springs of water of life, and God shall wipe away every tear from their eyes. And while it's fair to ascribe that to a scene in heaven when this world is over, and that we're sitting around the throne and worshiping God and praising Him, that spiritual kingdom that is that's being talked about there is going on right now. The spiritual kingdom is here. Jesus brought it. He's sitting at the right hand of God right now. 
So the throne scene that we see here is going on right now. And I make all this point, and I know it's fairly complex, and I apologize for that if I've, if I've confused you, but I want you to see the, the, the sentiment that comes through this. Here's the, all these people, and they're worshiping God, and the, the elder asks John, he says, who are these people? And John, in, in a way, goes, um, uh, you know. In other words, you, you tell me. And he says there that these, are, in verse 14, these are the ones who have come out of the great tri- tribulation and had their robes in, uh, white washed in the blood of the Lamb. We are those who have washed our robes in the blood of the Lamb, aren't we? It's not our blood. These aren't martyrs we're talking about. We have become clean because we have washed ourselves in the blood of the Lamb. And we have come out of the tribulation. Whatever tribulation that might be. Whether we had a terrible life in the past, and now we have a wonderful life in Christ. Or whether our life was not that bad in the past, but yet we still come out of that. And yet we're still in the spiritual realm. We're in exile. As God's people, we are just passing through this world. We are looking for a city that's, that's out in front of us. We're looking for a city whose architect and builder is God. So while we have tribulations and things that are going on around us, I hope what we'll get from this lesson is to understand that that's always going to be. Because we live in a physical world. There's violence. There's disease. There's sickness. There's natural disasters. But let's have that same attitude of Abraham. He was willing to live in tents, just passing through that land. The land that he passed through was Canaan. It was going to come to his inheritance, to his, to his offspring. But it wasn't going to be his. It was only going to belong to his heirs. But yet he was satisfied. He was, he was okay with that. Because he was looking for something more. He left behind the, the city in which he came, the, his country, his land, his family. He left that behind and came to, to live in a land that he wouldn't be a resident of. That's the attitude we need to have. We're passing through this land. Our citizenship is in heaven. We've come out of the tribulation. We've washed ourselves in the blood of the Lamb. And we stand in his throne, worshiping him, giving him the praises he so deserves. I hope this lesson has been encouraging to you. We offer an invitation at the end of our time, as we always do. I hope that you will continue to focus on what it means to be a child of God, what it means to be in his kingdom. And I hope this lesson will will emphasize that his kingdom is, is now. If we put on Christ, we are in that kingdom. There is still a city to come. We're passing through it. We're much closer than Abraham was. We're that much closer. The only thing that lies ahead of us is this world, and in the next is our eternal life 